say in another book, Le Guin has said that so-called realism centers the human. Only the literature of the fantastic deals with the non-human as of equal interest and importance. In this and so many other ways, fantasy is the more subversive, the more comprehensive, the more intriguing literature. These two issues combined our inability to deal with our own numbers and our insistence that we are what matters most may well be the finish of us. And with these thoughts, I arrive at the end of the world, where I tire finally of thinking about beetles and go back to thinking about Le Guin. For all the decades of her career, Le Guin has been defending the imagination and all the stories that rise from it. I myself have been finding my way up the mountain my entire adult life to get her answers to questions I didn't even know I was asking. Since I am now headed toward 70, this is a long time. I count among the world's great gifts to me the fact that I know her personally, that I've spent many hours in her company. But if I only, only, ah, had the books the gift would still be such a great one. I think that she's currently having a moment, a moment of recognition and appreciation. This particular moment, she's had others, is partly about her deep, fundamental impact on a generation of writers like me. At the beginning of this collection, she speaks of discovering Jose Saramago's blog and thinking, oh, I see. Can I do it too? which is precisely how her own work has functioned for so many of us, as an example, a freeing from convention and expectation, an invitation into a larger world than the one we see. But to my mind, all of Le Guin's moments, all the recognition and admiration, fall short of her actual accomplishments. I can think of no other writer in the entirety of history who has created the number of worlds that she has, never mind their complexity and intricacy. Where other writers secure their legacy with a single book, she's written a dozen worthy of that. And her very last novel, Lavinia, is surely among her great works. She's been both prolific and potent. She's been both playful and powerful. She has in her life and her work, always been a force for good, an acute social critic, necessary more now than ever as we watch the evil turn the world is taking. We who followed her both as readers and writers are the lucky ones. We not only love her, we need her. What you will find in these pages here is a more casual Le Guin, a Le Guin at home, some of the issues that have obsessed her throughout her career, a fatal model of growth capitalism, sisterhood and the ways in which it differs from the male fraternal, the denigration and misunderstandings of genre, science, and belief, continue to appear, but they've been sanded back to their absolute essentials. It is particularly pleasurable here to watch the lively way her mind works and how a posting whose trappings initially seem merely sportive, becomes deeply consequential. Le Guin has always been marvelous on the natural world. She is one of the most noticing people I've ever met. 
always paying attention to the bird song in the background, the leaf on the tree. Her essay here on the rattlesnake, and then the one about the lynx, work on me like poetry, sparking expanding emotions I can't quite identify or have no words for. I should make up the words. Le Guin would. Google, fibble, game of. So I should say that when I read Le Guin writing about birds or beasts, about particular animals with histories and personalities and singular behaviors, or when I read Le Guin on trees and rivers and all the vanishing beauties of the world, I feel transpaced. I feel overawed. I feel tongue-gaped. Tongue-gapedly, Karen Joy Fowler. A note at the beginning. October 2010.